1: If you're looking for content to help avoid what we feel are some of the most common mistakes made by first-time elk hunters, well, you got a bucket full last week and the party just got started. Just remember, y'all, elk hunting is some part science, some part art, and a whole bunch parts of just learning from mistakes. And you can consider us experts on those last parts. On tonight's show, we drive right back into the thick of it with part two, pitfalls to avoid strategies, stubbornness, and online scouting and more. Those topics along with our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair and adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com. With your host Gilbert Nellis and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt
2: elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
1: Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Arnellis from Spring, Texas, host of your show, and coming to you from New Mexico, our elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia, and from Katy, Texas, the one and only Senior Luis Gonzalez, one of the Venezuelan mafia himself, the king of the cat-calling cult, Luis <laughs> Gonzalez. <laughs> what's up, brothers?
3: Hey, what's, what's doing, up, Beto? man? Hey.
1: hey.
3: Oh, what's going on, fellas? I, well, I want you to see this. I got to thank you, brother, for sending this away. This is our first prototype. You guys out there are seeing it for the first time. If you watch this on YouTube, this is... Uh, first shot at our elk bros, a condo camouflage. So I'm actually wearing that tonight. Got to wear it at the state Capitol this awesome. past week. Uh, so it's way uh, cool,
1: Joe. I yeah. like it. I do yeah. too, yeah, It's solid. Uh, I- if you would have shared, I would have worn mine tonight, Joe, but uh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, you know we we, forgot I, to man, call I really each other. love the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, Like we don't talk enough. Uh, <laughs> like I said, it looks really good. You know, I've seen it on myself and stuff uh-huh. like that. And man, it really looks good when I wear it. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, <laughs> getting it on somebody else and at, oh, you're late
3: to that, Joe, what's up? <laughs> uh, all
1: right, man. Uh, it's all good. But no, man, it really looks good, the shadows and everything else in it. I think it's going to be fantastic. And, yeah. Um, give us another leg up on chasing our elk,
3: you know. Yeah. And, and you know, the, uh, just so exciting because it's always been my dream. I've always complained about patterns and this and that, and and don't get me wrong. There's some incredible patterns now. People are really getting it out there. But this was something that uh, that I wanted to put in our blending and diffusion technology into it, where you have certain parts of it that are blurred out and some parts are more detailed. And the big patterns that work out here. So it, I'm real excited about this prototype. Uh, I, I really like the material that it's, that it's on right now. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things that we're going to check out and play with and work. But uh, you guys are seeing it first, man. So... Uh, it, it's, it's pretty exciting. And like I said, I did get to wear it at the state capitol. And I actually went to the state capitol on Monday to help support our camouflage brothers and sisters over there. They had an event called Camo at the Capitol. And the whole idea there was for all of us and you know, hunters and fishermen to join together to basically show our support. For conservation and promotion and protection and the ongoing uh, support for hunting and fishing here in New Mexico, and I it was really awesome because I got a chance just to talk with some with some pe- incredible people there, and got to listen in on some of the speeches that were happening. and And guys, there was a huge conversation there, about, always like usual about converse, about conservation. Which I totally agree with 100%. All of us do. You know, I think a lot of hunters always talk about the fact that they are part of conservation, just from our licenses and what we do in our sales. But great point made there that uh, by Dr. Carl Malcolm there that just doing that, just buying your license and thinking that you're a conservationist, you're fooling yourself. There's other things you got to do to help this to move forward but one thing that struck me while we we're were is there also needs to be a huge because i i love the conservation part but mm-hmm. guys we need a huge conversation about getting our youth involved because the declining numbers of hunters right now is alarming and states are starting to feel the crunch they really are and, and when I say youth, understand something. Uh, Luis, you're a little bit out of that now. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but, Not uh, <laughs> quite just yet. <laughs> I'm talking about those guys. I'm in guys 30 up and to, under. Up to, yeah, 30 and under, really. I'm <laughs> 40 and to, under. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I really think that, and if I can give one message before we move on into what we're going to do tonight, is that, y'all, listen. Teach your kids. Be a mentor for somebody else. Get them out in the woods. Get them involved. Show them the miracle of what we do and how it changes your life and the full spectrum of what it does for us, not only by what it puts on our table, but what does it teaches us about ourselves and us as people. And, you know, start a youth program. Get involved with that. And, push for your states to lower the cost of youth tags and licenses and increase their opportunities because if we don't then all this con- uh, conservation is going to be for
2: naught now i agree 100 uh, percent. i think it, it, like you said it's alarming it's, it's i it, i can't imagine how um how those numbers i think about hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors and to me it's like, man, that's the best thing in the world. I mean, how can anybody not like that? You know, And, right. and to think that that's not getting passed on, that the kids are not getting exposed to that uh, nowadays is, is super sad. So um, that and on the other side, too, w- ways in which you can help, Look, there, there are a lot of uh, the states usually trying to get surveys out there to understand the amount of people hunting, to understand the amount of uh, whether or not they change the regulations or not. And you know, every time I get a chance, I try to fill that out, right? Uh, right. If I go to a public land to go hunting, uh, you, you make sure that when you get the surveys at the end of the year, you do put in what you think, what you see. Um, and because that helps, uh, the bottom line and, and look, you know, there's a place here nearby that I like to go hunting for pigs and, you know, they had restrictions as far as pig hunting. So every year I used to kind of put a comment in there. It's like, Hey, you guys need to open it up. There's a ton of pigs out here <laughs> they're, they're yeah. not getting harvested and you need to open it up. And I don't know if that made a difference or not, but Hey, this year, they opened up the season for them and you know
3: you know if one tree catches on fire in the forest uh and, and it burns, it's, it's not a big deal. You light up a whole forest, and man, people are there right. trying to put out the fire. And, and that's why it, it takes numbers. It takes people getting together. It, it takes common voices, and it takes us uniting. It doesn't matter what kind of weapon we use. It doesn't matter how we choose to hunt. It's, we've got to get rid of those things and not tear each other down from within. We really need to uh, get out there and speak as a common voice.
1: Yeah, you know, it takes dads putting aside some of their hunting time exactly to teach their right. kids too. You know, um, when I ever embarked on uh, hunting with my kids, it was way more about me being with them and teaching them than me hunting.
3: Uh, exactly.
1: Some sometimes hunting would break out, right? Some something would get in the way or whatever. But at the end of the day, when my kids turned five and six years old. They they'd been in the blind with me for since they were three. And but all those times were never about us hunting. We were telling stories and having good time and you know, doing whatever kids needed to do, blowing all my grunt call, hitting the horns together. I mean it was about them having fun with dad, right? Right. So I think a got a lot of guys get lost and frustrated when they got their kids with them and they won't be quiet, they won't be still and you know, it's just something that you gotta learn that it takes it takes patience. And it you takes need, best you, you need to change your
3: goal. You need to change yeah. your goal.
1: Yeah, and, and getting kids in 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 part of our program, you know, one of the things we do is we donate some hunts every year uh to to a really good cause here at the Texas Children's Hospital. And uh I, guys all ask me all the time, man, can I bring a friend? and uh if so was it cost I said well I'll charge you if you want to bring a friend but if you want to bring your kid I won't charge you a thing yeah, you know right it's about getting kids involved in what we do joe
2: most definitely some, some of the best memories I have are behind sophie while she's shooting and you've been there with me with no, for no. some of those beto so yeah. exactly right I, I thank you for that too because uh yeah again when when you when you do it for the kids mm-hmm. and and they're having a good time you enjoy it as much almost if not more than if it was just you you bet. All right. Good message for tonight. Guys,
1: you know exactly what time it is. Shout out. It shout is time out. for our Elk shout Shoutouts. <laughs> if you're new to our show, these are just shout outs to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe.
3: Yep. There we go. First and – I was so excited. I was talking to Luis about this earlier today, man, I couldn't believe the amount of reviews that rolled in this last week in Apple, Apple podcast. So I want to give them a big shout out to awesome BJ Chapman, T par. I'd, I'd love to know where you guys are from and full <laughs> names too. Ty banks from Oregon and Ty. Thanks for the invite, buddy. We would love to hunt Rosie sometime. So you never know. You never know when that's going to happen. So, uh, and uh, Paradigm Shift, thank you for your prayers to, shat, to Chav2Bud and uh, Conrado Armijo here in New Mexico. Actually, uh, uh, Conrado, there's two elk bros from New Mexico. It's just that one of us is laid up right now. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And also, get this uh, in our last show we tried to pronounce a name, a state from, I mean, a city in Washington, and I got a text today from Donald Johnson. He's a native Washingtonian, and one of our grinders that he he said he was rolling, man, listening to us (laughs) trying to pronounce that city, man, and so he helped me out, and the city we were trying to pronounce was Stillicum, Washington. Stillicum, and you
1: know, remember we looked at it was Stelacum and yeah, ste la cum. <laughs> Man, well, when you have two O's together in the in the English language, it's it cum. sure is ooh and yeah. not um. Or well, right, like he so. told
3: me, a lot of these are Native American names, man. Oh, so it's a little I bit gotcha. different. So d- I, I, thank I, you. I would have
2: gotten a better shot by reading it <laughs> that in Spanish.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you'd have been close, man. So thanks, Donald. All right, moving on. Topping our list is our brothers and sisters from the north, y'all. So actor Michael J. Fox is from here, and singer Michael Buble is not only from here, but he's currently constructing (laughs) – I wonder if he's going to have enough room – a 27,000 – square foot mansion here at the cost of roughly $6.4 million. What would you do at wow. 27000 Yeah, I think you could fit some of those things that you're trying to show in the back, Louise in 27000 century archery 000. range. <laughs> no, yeah, not, man. <laughs> a big 3D. <laughs> <laughs> but, guys, I, I got to tell you both, man. As cool as that was, what fascinated me the most was when I researched the city was something called the Burnaby Roost. Since the 70s, during the fall and winter, an estimated 3,000 to 6,000 crows ascend on a block and a half area as their roost every evening until the next morning when they again have a mass ascension for their daily commute. Wow. 3,000 to 6,000 crows in a block and a half area, and this takes place up in Burnaby, British Columbia. Wow.
1: That's a lot of blackbirds,
3: Joe. Nymphs, mm. crows, buddy. So that's, that's some big old birds and that's oh, a lot of
1: racket too. They're pretty Ooh. cool. <laughs> Noisy for sure. Next up, this suburb of Iowa city is all about community, super progressive, but also incredibly proud of the fact that they have more bicycle traffic, than traffic jams, more free family events than skyscrapers and plenty of hip to their hop their annual winter fest beat the bitter and their summer blues and barbecue are perfect family fun only found in north liberty iowa north
3: liberty in the house thank you guys man thank you guys and gals From for being the listeners heart of America. over there yeah and and reminder a uh, Guys, please, when you hear me say guys, I'm a coach, coach both girls and boys. I I use guys for everybody, so I'm not leaving anybody
2: out there. Luis, you're up. Yeah, so this planned community began in 1952 when two brothers purchased a a farm in hopes of building a special town, but with the land originally being farmland, there were no trees, so they purchased a machine, the first of its kind on the East Coast, to Put the full grown large trees into the ground. Just imagine the accomplishment this was at the time. They actually planted 10,000 full growing oak trees. Wow. Montgomery Village, Maryland. Wow. Montgomery
1: Village. That's a bunch of big, big oak trees. Wow.
3: That's crazy. 10,000 oak trees? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's a lot of acres, <laughs>
3: <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're full grown, man. They're full grown. Yes. We're not talking that's about crazy. putting little things and waiting for them to grow. They yeah, they that's... wanted they wanted everything is, to be this right. This is now.
2: 1952. Gilbert was probably about 35, then or something like that. <laughs> 31. Always a critic.
1: (laughs) Next up, Joe William Bruce Rose Jr., an American singer songwriter and musician, was born and raised here. You might know him better by his stage name, the one and only Axel Rose, lead vocalist for the hard rock 1980s hair band Guns and And Roses. Roses. (laughs) <laughs> and Amelia Earhart, uh, her first female, avi- was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Prepared her plane for the for her to last around the world flight, and uh, that is in Lafayette, Indiana.
3: Indiana, Lafayette. Hey, hey, so, not to uh, get
1: not to get confused with Lafayette boys to the east of me over here in Lafayette, oh, Indiana, because they're going to say they had it. They had it first,
2: Lafayette. So, So you want to hear something funny? Probably something people don't really think about. You know, when you said Guns N' Roses there, I remember in my childhood in Venezuela, I bet I could sing most of those songs just simply phonetically, not knowing what I was saying and probably pronouncing it completely wrong, but it sounded child at the time. So yeah. How's that that any different from now? (laughs) (laughs) That I think I know what I'm saying. In the past, I didn't know for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So one of our... IT guys next door to my office, he's he writes and can speak Arabic, but he doesn't know what it means. Oh really? I'm like, how can you do that? How can you write Arabic and not know what it means? I'm like, what did that say? Oh, I don't know. I just write. It. I'm like, how do you how do you do that?
2: So, so he wasn't I think he's lying until, to me, man. It wasn't until <laughs> I, I moved to the states and I started kind of learning the language that I started to realize what songs actually said. Oh yeah, like, for oh, sure. Oh, that's what that meant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: you could you could say the words, and I think that's yeah. the way he is. He just doesn't yeah. understand the language, right? Uh,
3: yeah, I can say trust it me. And, being from the South, my wife's still like that with me today anyway, too. Oh, that's yeah. what that means, man. <laughs> Last but not least, this city in the nation's most oil-productive county. All right, guys, any idea the nation's most oil-productive county? I figure my big oil guys here would know exactly where this is already. Any idea? In the county? Yeah, the the nation's most oil-productive county. What state would that be in, you think?
1: I would say almost probably be, have to be in North Dakota.
3: North Dakota, huh? Hmm.
1: Well. May, or that or in Pennsylvania, West Texas. Uh-huh. Or,
3: well, get, get this. Here's some more info. Trouts is the largest and last of the legendary honky-tonks that helped to establish this city's original sound that launched the careers of Buck and Merle.
1: Buck Owens and Merle Haggard. Yes, sir. Got to be in Oklahoma
3: no sir it is nope. bakersfield california, california. Yeah.
2: i live there one of the most famous fields uh in bakersfield is called elk hills that's it's right half elk Half-field. oh yeah. there we go yeah all right man
1: look i'm gonna tell you bakersfield is a cool town i like uh, that town.
2: yeah but,
3: I, it just blew my mind i was i was interested to see if you guys where you would lock in on that and uh
1: for uh, me it had been Dunn would, county uh, north dakota yeah I, I would venture to say I don't know how many millions of barrels of oil that had
2: come out of there. I drilled That's a funny. bunch of wells there. Beto.
3: Yeah, it blew my sure. mind, man. So, guys, let's uh, let's get at it, man. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, last week, we talked about multiple to- topics from thermals and wind to hunters and animal size and trail heads. But uh, before we get started, if, if I could, guys, I, I just need to do a little bit of cleanup from last week. And <laughs> uh, when I was talking about thermals and approaching elk, I use terms that sometimes <laughs> – like I said, my wife's still trying to figure out how I talk sometimes, but I use some terms that can be confusing to a listener. And and I just want to make sure I clear that up. So guys, when I was talking about being above elk on a ridge, and we were talking about thermals, you guys remember we were talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of a ridge in the morning with the thermals going down and how I want to move down the ridge and then move to their level, That that's a little bit confusing because... When when I am saying that I want to move down a ridge, I'm not meaning down the slope of the ridge. Right. What I'm saying is if I'm on top of it, yeah, Laterally. I'm going to I'm going to go Latterally. I'm going to go further one side or the other on the yeah. top of the ridge to kind of get away so my thermals are not Dipping going down to it. the animal, then oh, especially man. if I have a breeze that like for example, if I'm looking down a ridge, okay or if i'm looking down the slope to the bottom with an an elk sounding off down in the bottom down there and i have a breeze that's coming from my left to my right then i want to move across the top or down the ridge i want right. to move to my right and yeah. then i want to then start descending in elevation down the slope of the ridge uh going and getting on the same that level makes, as that animal.
2: That makes a lot of sense um and, and and i'll be honest that's one of the concepts that i struggle the most with mm-hmm. and and i think i was interpreting it the other way um and so i'm glad so you, you clarified. you might go down to the, yeah yeah the so and i was like i was always scratching my head with that concept and i i remember even i <laughs> bet a you were you like
3: damn wow, like, like, going right yeah and, but, and uh, that you know <laughs> when i do this stuff i never have to explain it to someone (laughs) so it's kind of like and and i'll tell and it's really confusing because i'll tell like you know guys that were with me know what i'm saying when i tell them i want you to go down to the right i want you to go down to the left you know and uh yeah but there's a
1: method to that madness right yeah i mean definitely when you hear a bull below you and you know you've got you've got the thermals going down to him you you don't want to go straight you got to his left or to his right. And generally, if you have a breeze that is coming in that direction, you want to go with that breeze in the exactly. lateral
3: direction. And yep. the other thing, if you don't have a breeze, the best <laughs> right. thing for you to do yeah. is, is if you, if your topography is higher on one end than the other, you yeah. want to move to the low end of that so that mm-hmm. those thermals are falling down your way. So I, I wanted to kind of clarify that so that just like you, Luis, I, I think, my, my choice of language I didn't use laterally I didn't use parallel I didn't use perpendicular so uh I just wanted to make sure I cleared that up because we're telling guys not to go down to the animal because your scent's going to fall right down to them and yeah. and it can be confusing right. so I hope everybody understands that so you'll just- wonder
1: why man he shut up He <laughs> say another thing I, you know I don't yeah. understand I don't understand. (laughs) He's in another county, (laughs) cuz. So now
3: we got that cleared up. Let's move on for tonight, man. Uh, Last week, we we covered a lot of things. And remember, what our whole goal is right now, for you guys out there, what we want to do is we want to give you some of these most common mistakes or things that people do that uh, can cause you problems. And I, I think that I talk about this all the time is that i think that the biggest mistake new elk hunters make is in not being aggressive enough and creating their opportunities and and i don't know if this comes from whitetail hunting background i don't know if this comes from you know being stealthy and again there's a time and a place to be stealthy but guys when you hunt elk, you have to push the envelope and you have to push the envelope with cutting a distance. And what I mean by that, let me explain that. So uh, let's say I do give a call out and I'm trying to locate and I've got a bull that's sounding off down a Canyon. It might seem like it's a mile away. It might be three quarters of a mile. Well, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about stuff. First thing I want to do is I want to start cutting the distance. Yeah, I'm gonna look at topography and things like that. But I need to get start getting towards that critter because as it starts to warm up and as things start to change in there, it's going to be a lot harder to hear things than it is in that early morning. So, I mean, you got to push the envelope. You got to cut the distance. I I push the envelope with places hunted too. I mean, no doubt. I, yeah, I. I I'm going to go in places that a, a lot of people won't go in, or I'm going to be in those bedrooms because, you know, the think about it, man. How much time in the day are these guys in their bedrooms?
1: Well, a lot of that, Joe, is because you can get there there are a lot of people that don't have the physical prowess that you do and you can get there. Right. So again, it goes back to being prepared mentally and physically to be able to get yourself in that position, you know? Sure. Most uh, definitely. I, I, hearken, I hearken back this year and not because I love to think about this so much, but on the bull that I killed that you called in, right. we actually heard that bull a long way off and really went through <laughs> man, we went through a lot to get to him right and right. once we top out on the ridge we have a landmark in front of us that we can't go any further right, right, right. so at the end of the day i mean we're kind of we're in a standoff with him he's bugling we're bugling we're cow calling he you know he's and and we had pretty much just said well he beat us you know and we were getting ready to leave there when i said man i i hear him and i see him walking down to a wallow. I said, I I see, I see that elk over there. And you're like, "Huh," you're like, Hmm. And I mean, we were fixing to pack it up and roll out of there and just us being persistent and aggressive enough to get at him one more time. We pulled him within another half a mile or quarter of a mile. We pulled him and and sealed the deal and brought him up.
2: Yeah. You you know, but we never
1: got there if we weren't, you know, insistent and persistent and, you know, understanding and going regardless of what. If you hear the bugle, you can get to it.
3: And I don't know if you guys remember, but that's probably the third time we went up that hill, man. Oh and I know a lot gosh. of guys, I know a lot of guys looked at that hill like, "Oh man, not again," you know. Yeah, <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can guarantee you, myself and the Pennsylvania cat killer himself looked at each other like, "Oh man, here we go again." Because I just took him up there that morning right. and, and couldn't get to to where we needed to be. They kept going further and. I'm like, man, I'm sorry, bro. (laughs) You know, we weren't fast enough to get there. I got (laughs) one speed, everybody, and it's slow. But at the end of the day, You know, you gotta go. And what you taught me more than anything is, you have to cut distance to have an opportunity. And I always feel like in the time of year we're hunting, there's not just one bull. I think there is one bull talking, but I think there's several of them together at times, and a few of them may not be talking. So you may be able to pull one and scrap stragglers that ain't talking. You know, at that
3: time. Well, and a lot of people don't realize too. A lot of times when you hear a bull bugling, sometimes they're not bugling at you. They're hearing a a a bugle on the other side of them that you're not hearing. So there can be multiple things
2: happening in an area anyway. So, but go ahead, Luis. Yeah, Joe. uh, So this is a topic that, you know, I know I've had questions about and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there, greenhorns like me that probably are scratching their heads about this topic too. And it's, yeah, we want to create the opportunity. We want to shorten that distance, but with regards to aggressiveness, Uh maybe you guys can help uh, clear up a little bit is at what point do you take the decision to hey this is a time to actually put a spot in stock and try to be as quiet as possible at what point do you say hey we're just going to sit here set up and try to call him in i mean making the decision on the fly it's it's an experience thing. Well, there, but well what, what, there, it is. Mind?
3: Yeah. And, and, and there's a few things though, that, that actually change that mentality. And part of that is, okay, is this a bull with a hot cow himself that has other bulls challenging him? Or is this a, a bull that, that's looking for some cows or is this a bull? It, it might even be a bull that's already with cows, but he doesn't have a hot cow. So you can, you can basically tell, um, whether this guy's trying to be a lover or a fighter that's going to determine how you're going to go into this animal. And so, so that's something that, that you think about. Now, you, you said something about spot and stock. And the deal is, is most of the time we're in the timber. Most of the time we're in the thick right? We're in the thick oak brush. We're in the trees. So it's not a spot and stock type thing at that point. Now, if I'm in a position where I can spot an animal and I see them in a position, well, that's a whole different story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm coming in silent, baby.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I can, I can start using the ground and everything. And we've done that. We've actually come over top of the Hill. We're in the trees and we can see them down in a park. And what we do is we start to cut the distance silently but now we've got there – you've got to remember, you've just put yourself in a little bit of predicament because once you start getting on a group of elk that's in an open, you start moving in silently, then you have to match with what's happening in the environment. Elk know – by the noises other elk are making when they're coming in if there's other elk coming to them or not so now if i make a choice to move in silently and they catch my movement they're going to tag me as a predator so i had better make sure that i'm being silent and i'm getting in position or using cover
1: to make your move
3: right uh or if i get into a certain point where Um, now I might want to try to call to them. You're taking a real risk when you do that, because if you you snuck up and they haven't heard a cow or they haven't heard a bull yet. (laughs) And all of a sudden you, you belt one out at them, there's a good chance. They're just going to get up and blow right out of there because there was nothing that introduced that and they know where everything's at. Now, all of a sudden this noise is coming out of nowhere and I've had it happen. I stalked in i thought man i am in high cotton because i had a herd bull with about 30 cows i stalk in have his cows to the right the bulls bedded to the left and i and i was in perfect position and i should have just shut up and waited for him to make a mistake but no joe gillia has got to call elk in because joe julia <laughs> yeah. loves to call elk and yeah. even though yeah. nothing was talking at that point i go yeah <laughs> I could not as soon as I did that, everything jumped up. That bull sprinted to those cows and whoop they were out we're of cough. there.
2: Yeah. Gone, man. Because- but, but another yeah, another example that I have to that and in that explains a lot of the the choices you made. Mm-hmm. We were I remember one day, it was Manano, you and I, we were hunting um down on that east uh side, southeast mm-hmm. area. Um and we were walking and then we saw, we saw an elk right. and, uh, he was, it was a bull elk that was kind of grazing on the grass and he was, but it was within a hundred yards, maybe, right. uh, right. uh, maybe more, maybe 150 yards or so we saw it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started to close the gap quietly. And, uh, as I started getting close to him, you started, you know, bugling, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of distract the attention of that elk as if, as I was getting close to that elk and starting potentially to make noise and maybe be noticed. Then right. you started calling in the back to make sure that the attention of that elk was behind me and not with me as I was approaching. Well, I was able look. to get within 60 yards of that bull elk. I remember and, and, being on my knees, looking at him and drawing and yeah. he stood there.
3: And and I actually, that wasn't the shot. I didn't want you to have a 60 yard shot. So my goal was yeah. for you. Holy I watched you till you got in position. So I'm waiting till a guy gets in position. Uh, we're in the trees. We're not in the open. He's not in the open. He's in the trees. So yes. now, instead of calling at that animal, I actually started out. to bring him in. I, I pointed my grunt to behind me Wait. and I threw some cow calls in the back. And then what I did was I threw a light bugle towards the back. And then I tried to actually raise up what was going on in the area. So mm-hmm. I wanted him. Like Um, you, like you said, to pay attention to me, start moving into me because you were in position that if he did, it was going to be a twenty yard, it was going to be a thirty yard shot. My goal was never for you to have a
2: sixty yard shot. No, Uh, understand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I, I was just trying to kind of put the situation into context as to when did you make those decisions and why did you make those calls and at what point you decide to actually start calling and starting to make the noise to introduce this, the the additional sounds that come with getting close to the animal. Well, Well, uh, go go ahead.
1: What's that? No, I, Chav and I was a really, a year ago, Chav and I had a, a situation where we saw the animals, right? We knew where they were at and we snuck right in the middle of them. I mean, it was eerie how close. I mean, we were at 12 feet, right, from from bulls. Right. And uh, thank God we had really good camo on. We had, you know, a, a favorable wind. And they would, every time that wind would shift just a little bit, they'd get a little nervous. Well, when they'd get a little nervous, they'd start to move away back into the woods. And I'd i I'd take my grunt tube and I'd softly cow call and then I even just
3: now, hit now clear that up though. When you said that you take your grunt tube and make a soft call, I, I would put it behind, could, me. behind you. Behind you behind me away and away from, from, those from animals. them, right?
1: Right. Behind right. me and away from them. So it would throw it back in behind us. And man, they'd all perk up and here they'd come back. Oh man, you know what? what is over there so I, we needed them to make a move and to, for us to be able to get a shot yeah. and it was all about speaking their language but the cool thing about sneaking into the middle of a herd is you will get to understand <clears throat> bulls make sounds just like cows do sure and they do when, mm-hmm. especially when they're together mm-hmm. and uh so i just started imitating them you know and man it was like that held them together, cause I'm telling you, several of them wanted to blow out of there, like a you know a uh, 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 leaf in the wind, big time. And uh-huh. uh, cleaning it up, Joe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, you keeping it in, anyway, PG today? Huh? <laughs> yeah, they they wanted they wanted to blow. not
2: unleashed, <laughs> but but
1: that little bit of throwing that call back there in a little sure. bitty bugle. I mean, it was nothing big, but it held them, you know. It, And And I I think think guys want to get too big with everything. Yeah. And that freaks them all out. You know, for me, less is more. I don't so, know, that's just
3: my it, idea. Guys, I hope you listen because what you're getting, our listeners, what you're getting is actual scenarios here. You're getting actual thought processes, but it can even sound contradictory because what I said was I, I, I'm saying that I'm super, super aggressive. Well, super aggressive doesn't mean that you're making stupid decisions at the, at the wrong time. It doesn't mean that you go sneak up in the middle of them and just friggin' scream at them. That, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no, that no, su- be being aggressive is by, Um, by your choices that you make on like closing the distance on maybe you know like I'm aggressive in my calling and what I mean by that is it's not necessarily being aggressive as far as angry with my calling it's with I I do a lot of calling I do a lot of moving and I do I do two types of calling. There's the calling that I do Location. at an animal, at yeah. a particular bull, where I'm trying to challenge him, where we're having a conversation and where he's engaged with me. And then there's the calling that I do where I'm ignoring, even though that is still my target animal, I'm ignoring him. I'm not, I'm actually having my own gathering. I give the example of me being a bull with a hot cow and other bulls trying to come in to me and actually that is one of the best strategies that I can tell you to have if a bull is not when you're when you're engaging a bull man and they get now if you're being a fighter with that bull then he has to tread lightly If I am a bull with a hot cow and other bulls are trying to get my attention, that bull is going to come on and he's going to come check out what's happening at the party. So, uh, So how I call can be aggressive in the amount that I call and the style that I call. I mean, there's times, man, you guys heard this year, the big call this season. and It's funny. Different years are different. But the big call this season that really turned them on was that lost cow call. And I mean, I mean, I was ripping it annoyingly and loud. Yeah. And being really aggressive with it. And it had a great effect. So it did. It yeah.
1: really did. It so, was the right time of year to be doing it too. You know, right. they just coming into their own. But, but if we're
3: not doing these things, then we are not creating opportunities. Uh, yes. What's happening is then we become a passive hunter, waiting for an opportunity. And I'm just not that style, man. I'm like, look, uh, I can sit here and hunt five days waiting for something to give me one opportunity. Or I creating. can go
2: at it creating and doing. Maybe things. maybe blow two up, but at least have five more. It doesn't. Well, yeah.
1: It, yeah. No, yeah. I've been with I've been with him when we've blown five up. You yeah. know. And but at the end of the day, he covers so Joe and I'm, I say he use like Joe's not here. Joe covers so much ground in a hunting scenario that you're going to have those opportunities. I know. Yeah. So, (laughs) so look, I mean, uh, I know one thing is that if you hear a bull, you got to go find out. Right. Uh, Sure. And if you stumble on things along the way, a lot of times other elk are going to get in your way just because you're being aggressive, moving from opportunity to opportunity. That's the thing is I, I think guys, Get in their head that once they've blown an opportunity, all oh, the day's shot. You know, Right. right. I mean, if we were been like that last year, our, our you know when you killed your bull, we'd have walked back to the mule and went on back to camp, and our day'd have been done because we you know we called some
2: hunters in, Wait, right? Right. You know, so, and, and sometimes when you just finished killing a bull. While you're in the process of waiting, more opportunities will Whoa. pop up they yeah, for brighter, other hunters that are with you. I mean, exactly it happened right. to us so many times right. uh, in, in the four years that I've hunted with you guys. It's unbelievable. It almost seems like it, it's more likely to happen after somebody else kills a bull than, 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 <laughs> than the other way around. And also, Joe, you know, just to add to the aggressiveness and, and the behavior behind how we tackle situations to how you taught us to tackle situations is you know the example when we were uh when Manano uh, killed his bull last Mm -hmm. year right um Manano actually brought it up right I mean we had the wind in our favor we we heard the bulls in front of us maybe 200 yards out and the path the straight line from where we were to where these bulls were wasn't a very straight line there was a lot of dead fault and it was it was super difficult terrain to get through manana's right. suggestion was it's like why don't we just go around to try not to make much noise and your answer was like heck no we're going to go straight through here i'm going to start calling and they're you know we're going to mimic as if there's more elk approaching them and we went on a straight line and we're able to get set up and we were super close to them and manana took his shot at, less than it was 30 yards 30 yeah. yards yeah. or something yeah. like that yeah. right uh so i mean that to me was a perfect example of what being aggressive means. well
3: and and that's understanding elk behavior you know there's right. no need for us to sneak through there We've, we're already talking and letting this bull know that there's yeah, another bull and cows in the area so when he hears the noises like that it, it just paints the picture for you yeah. so yeah it, it basically we're not worrying about what we're stepping. We're breaking branches. We're moving forward. And that get then... So when you guys were going set, you guys were a little, I mean, you guys were more stealthy getting to your position right. in front of me. And then I was covering in the in the back on there, wait until you're in position and then start doing the things that are going to bring them in. So, you know, I uh, think
1: one of the cool things, Joe, you can tell our listeners and I, I will too, that the bull is, go- if you're calling bulls, the bull is going to tell you what's up. Right. Sure. He's definitely tell you. If he's coming, if he's coming, keep doing what you've been doing, baby, because he's on a string. Right. So if if you hear him and he's getting close and you can hear him, man, when he's coming, he'll get the glonking and he'll get in the right frame of mind. And, you know, those 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 bugles are getting more insistent. And more aggressive because he's getting closer. He's closing the gap. So a lot of times you, you don't have to close the gap. That's when you got to get set up, get ready, get your lanes that you want the whole nine yards, and then you don't have to be as insistent with him because he's coming, man. The I think one of the worst things we do as hunters and. You know, y- young callers, is we just keep right on rolling it when we don't have to because he's coming, man. and He's got you pinpointed where he's at now. If he locks up, that's a different story. We want to turn that grunt tube behind us, give him another little pump, and man, he'll keep right on rolling. But it's really the attitude of the bull, and you listening to the attitude of him, and especially if he's a single or if he's got cows or whatever. I mean, right? I'll be in no, the middle- it's. A- both storms and
3: it's most really most out. definitely. I mean, and, I, I, and we're going to talk more on that that specific part there yeah. uh because I I know that that's what a lot of guys want to hear. When I hear this, how do I react? When I hear that, what's it telling me? And we're going to go there with that. And but we just want to tell you that you know you have to do these things to create the opportunities. And like Gilbert said, you have a bull coming in. Well you got to be aggressive in positioning for shots. I've seen guys that they're like, Oh, they're coming in and they get down on the ground and they freeze behind stuff or, or they get inside things or, or they don't even pay attention. They're shooting lanes. And then, yeah, the bull shows up and you just don't have a shot. So Mm -hmm. you got to be aggressive. And like Gilbert said earlier, yeah, I might blow some up doing some of these things, but hit, again, do the math, right? So if if I am not in a position where I can get a shot, I have no shooting lane, I got branches around me, I'm going to bump, uh, all of this stuff, and a bull comes in, I am not going to get that shot, and that animal's going to go off, I'm never going to see him again. Whereas if I go and I get aggressive to get a position well, one of two things are going to happen. Either I'm going to get in position to where I have a shot, and now I have an opportunity, and I can put that bull down. Or in trying to do that, I might blow him out, which is the same as the original ser- scenario. So, you know, I want to give myself
2: more opportunity to do that. So you got to be aggressive in positioning for shot. I'll do right? in that, Joe. One thing that I like to add to, it's important, something that obviously has happened to me, but when you're setting yourself up, if you're going to sit up on your knees, um, right. make sure your knees are in the correct position for your draw. Even if you're standing, uh, but. Because even I, if you're standing your feet on <laughs> the correct. Yeah. Yes. And you have to make sure and you think about that when you set up and when you find the spot where you want to stay and when you have your lanes. And also think about when you draw to make sure that there isn't a branch or something behind you that you're going to crack or that you're going to hit as you're doing your draw. Because, I mean, those things – or. Make sure that when you put your bow in the front, there isn't a branch in front of you, too, that you're going to hit with the bow when you make the full draw. So kind of think of that bubble around you when you set up (laughs) because it's super important because it's going to make you or break you by the time you actually get to draw before you shoot and i'm not i'm not wanting to
3: to say that this is a sport necessarily i know people there's like a big old conversation about that but as a coach the most important thing when i coach kids in any sport is footwork and you know when you get out there i've seen guys that go out and they know a bull's coming in front of them and they're standing With their feet pointing straight at that animal that's coming in, they are not in shooting position. They're in a bad position to be able to get that shot. So, I mean, you have to have your body in position. So always think about your feet. If you're down on your knees, think about that. There's some people that don't like to get on their knees. There's some people that hate to be on their knees. Look, you know, whatever puts you in the best position for the clearest lanes is where you need to be. That's what I'm going to tell you. Me personally, I like it down that way but yeah. that's just how I am. Um so again not being aggressive and not creating your own opportunities is the biggest mistake you can make. And and I'll and I'll give you another example. I'm out hunting and I do blow up a group, right? And they go up on top of a ridge. A lot of guys go man they're like, "Oh, it's over." No heck no just it's begun. not over. Because if those animals are going in a certain position, a certain way, you will start to learn how elk move, how they travel, where they want to go. And you can actually do a small loop around, get over top of that ridge and try to re-engage those animals. And you can do it because I've actually re-engaged animals that have blown. Well, uh, we did it with the decoy this year, right? Yes, sir. We did one group and ended up. Killing a bull out of that group, but I've done it especially what most groups of elk, a bull with cows, will do is if they end up going on top of a ridge and going on the other side, a lot of times on the top, they're going to wait and they're going to listen and they're going to smell and they're waiting to see what happens with that danger that spooked them. And then if everything's copacetic, they're going to start moving down into that ridge where they want to go towards their bedding area. And if you just Take your time and don't go up behind them. You do kind of move out and try to do that parallel thing. You can catch and re-engage these animals again for a second time, even a third time. It's just uh, it, as long as you don't give them pressured reason or a full snoot and, uh, and, and really get aggressive on them and blow them up, then they're going to start getting out. Joe,
2: isn't there, in, in, on a similar topic, isn't there um, – isn't it pretty common for elk when they first spook and they don't know what it is to actually run out maybe 40 yards or so and actually turn their back and look and, and give you a second opportunity because they don't know what, what just happened and what what's going on? Well, they if, just you're, spook if you're a rifle
3: hunter... If you're a rifle hunter and you
2: you come in and you, well, yeah, you
3: can cow call. But if you blow animals up in a park, let's say, and you see those bulls heading towards the edge, toward the tree line, buddy, you better lock and load and you better look at that tree line because they're going to go in that tree line Mm. 10 yards and they're going to stop and look back to check and see the the, what the status is of the danger that that they Mm -hmm. thought they saw they do it every doggone time man they're going to go up and they're going to check because remember their their job is is to live to see another day well once they go into the trees they don't know what's in front of them either right Mm. so Mm. they have to assess where they at the where they're at they got to check everything out not only from the danger behind them but possible danger in front of them so they go in they check and then they assess what they're doing once they've checked that if they see that they're good up the hill they'll get up to the top of the hill and they'll stop again and assess oh, yeah. you know yeah. so uh their goal is to survive to see another day and you know i mean you've got to be nipping at their heels for them to to Keep get rolling. off like a race horse right yeah
1: yeah you know joe uh, with you being so aggressive in the style that we hunt, mm-hmm. uh, in being aggressive, I want to talk about the patience part of being aggressive, right? Um, sure. We have blown hurry up, up a and lot. and slow of, down, right? Yeah. Hurry up to slow down. Yeah. We've blown up a lot of situations because we're a little in, impatient, right? Mm-hmm. Um,
3: yeah. Patience classic, is
1: huge. Yeah, do what? Patience is so key, man, Mm -hmm. because that animal, if he's talking to you, he's committed to figuring out what you're doing. Once you get him to commit, you just got to be patient. And uh, I remember a time, one time you and I made a long, long uh, hike to get to this bull. And once we got there, he's coming. I mean, we got him on a string. You're like, are you ready? Are you going to get down on my knees? I'm, I'm ready. I'm pumped. We're in a little jackpine deal. This boy is screaming at us. I mean, just full on. Rah, sound like Tyrannosaurus Rex coming through there, you know. Great. And he shuts up at the last second. Like he's going to pop out any second, right? He shuts up and just he's quiet. Ain't nothing said. You're like, and you you see. I'm like, no, I don't see anything. You know, and you know the bulls within killing range. He's sixty yards and in, right? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in those jackpines, man. And you know he's there, guys. At that point in time, you got it. You got to administer patience right? Uh, We did that this year in the bull that I killed. We just were patient. We didn't rush things. I didn't panic. Bull's staring us down, knows that there's something there. And he sees the decoy and he's looking at both. I mean, it is calc, he is calculating in that brain of his, what it's up. You gotta have patience in that moment of truth in that other scenario we actually lost patience <laughs> and, and Joe actually steps out of the jackpines, and the bull is looking to, directly at him at 25 yards, 25 boom, yards, man. Yeah. Bull, huh? 25 yards. Yeah. yeah. 25 yards and the bull blows up and, you know, all we see is avers and butt going the other direction. And Joe looks <laughs> at me.
3: But uh, that, but that's another point though, is when these guys want to come in silent, yeah, they, they can be like the wind. And, you know, he was in a Man. situation where something just wasn't right to him and he was going to sneak in and check it out, you know, unbelievable. so it's one of those
1: unbelievable, you know, just i, I hearken back to the patient's part of it. You busted your tail, you've been aggressive, you've been calling. Once you know that they're rolling, you know, you just got to be patient and if you got eyes on them and you know, they're coming just be patient.
3: Yeah, or or if they're sounding off, you know, there's things that they help, but they're not always doing that. Sometimes they're just, and, and I've seen a bull. You can watch them. Sometimes they'll stop and feed a little bit. And, you know, and then they're like, okay, now I'll move forward and, and start doing that. And sometimes they're just, I think the biggest mistake is we put everything in our time. We're mm-hmm. like, you know, we want that animal to be there in our time. Well, you, that's not how it works it mm-hmm. works on elk's time so you're right a lot of times you got to hurry up to slow down and yeah. you just kind of goes
1: against everything that you you know we're talking about but at the end of the day when you're getting ready to seal the deal i would just i would just let guys know be patient pick a spot focus you know well, all the outside things are going to come in enter- that are going to come into play you're going to clutter your thinking well i
3: think it actually i I don't think it goes against what we're saying i think that what it actually does go into our our, into our next thing here is that i think one of the the biggest mistakes that that a lot of hunters not just new hunters make is is that uh, by being a one-trick pony man they have only one strategy or skill set and they're limited to that particular hunting style, whether it's that they're, they're calling, whether it's their stalking, whether it's their using stands, whether they're, they're glassing and going in on it. it. It's like, that is their style. They're like, well, that's my style. Well, anytime that you have not thrown more tricks in your bag, you have just again, limited your opportunities because right. you know, I can be and and I say this too. Uh there's a lot of guys that are stubborn hunters, right? So Ooh. they're like, well, I'm going to call. If they don't come into my call, I don't want that animal, right? Well, okay. Y'all y'all keep doing that, I'll take the one that you don't want, right? But, you know, tag <laughs> soup. And and there's other ways guys are stubborn, too, is that, you know, they're like, okay, I'm not finding any elk in this area. And I hear this all the time. You wouldn't believe how many guys I heard that from this year is that we hunted this area. We've hunted this area for 30 years, and there's always been elk in that area. So we hunted it for 12 days. We hunted the same area for twelve days because there have always been elk in that
1: area. Gotta be willing to move. Yeah, man. And I'm like plan A, plan
3: B. If if <laughs> you cannot stubborn elk into coming where they've always been. If they're not there, elk are where they are, right? So exactly. uh you know, and, and that's what I mean by being a one trick pony. And and when I say I'm an aggressive hunter, you know, are there times when I've had to sit and wait on something? Well, I hate that. But if it's the, going to be the most effective at that time, that's what I'm going to do. You know, uh, when we use a decoy, you know, uh, we're in a situation where we're like, heck, man, what do we have to lose Hit right now? Nothing. So let's give this a whirl and give it a try, man. Let's try to create an opportunity. So if I could tell you guys anything, man, is that, you know, if, if you're a calling style, if you're a run and gun caller, well, that's great. But. What if you need to be a a slow down and, and, you know, kind of stalk through a bedding area with some real light calling where you're trying to see them before they're seeing you? You know, it's very effective and it can be done. Or if instead of being aggressive and trying to call an animal into you, you're actually doing a a set, telling a story where Mm -hmm. you're now trying to be Uh, turning your back to that bull that you want. And actually you're trying to call that animal by putting on a show is what we call. And we're trying to actually make that bull think something else. So we're not just running and gunning all the time. We change accordingly to what works. Well, A good example
2: of that, Joe, uh, not on actual calling strategy, but actually area hunted was Mm -hmm. last year. You know, I think we had a plan last year where we thought the elk were going to be based on, you know, the food source. Yeah, the food sources. Definitely. And and that wasn't the case. I mean, it just, it didn't turn out that way. And, you know, we had an opportunity where we could actually, you know, separate and scout different areas. And that helped us understand the area way better and helped us make a decision as to what was the area we needed to be at and, and change that to actually give us more opportunities
3: yeah and and it it wasn't that elk weren't in that area there were a lot of um bachelor groups of bulls together in there but there was no hot cow to get them going off were they being vocal yeah they were they were bull mewing to each other, low vocalizations Mm. that you had to be close in order to hear that. Uh, So what we were looking for was we were trying to find that bull that was sounding off. Because, guys, remember, half the battle of hunting an elk and harvesting an elk is knowing where he's at. So, you know, once they sound off, man, then that that helps that problem quite a bit,
1: okay? Part of that leads into the next little area here, Joe, is us not being – uh, scared to move off the beaten path oh, that's and go huge. going yeah. where they are, right? right. And not right. staying on established trails and roads. I mean, we talked about having to go up that that mountain three times. I mean, it is what it is. Most guys wouldn't do it. They wouldn't no. put forth the effort. And most guys would walk back to camp and go, well, you know, we heard one, but, man, it's just too hard to get to them. We have a great
3: podcast on the fearless hunter and, and I, I think really. you guys need to listen to that. And basically what we're saying is that, you know, uh, it's those people that find themselves sticking to the trails, yeah. uh, sticking to the roads, uh, not wanting to get lost, wanting to get into camp well before dark, not wanting to get out of camp until after daylight because they have these fears. And if, if you don't hunt fearless, yeah. Uh, Now there's things you can do to help you with that and listen to that podcast. It'll help you. But if you don't hunt fearless, if you don't go off the beaten path, if you don't act like an elk and go into where elk are, then it's difficult to see an elk because they know where people are. They hear them on the roads going back and forth all the time. So
2: how how about, um, and I'm sorry, I don't know if you had something else there to finish that thought process, but, um, how about because again you know you start practicing you with your bow and obviously you're in your house and you're practicing as comfortable as you want to practice but then you get out in the woods and then you know once you have your pack your camo gloves whatever you may have on uh, now you're in a complete different situation when you draw your bow you have a different anchoring point you have stuff that is in your way um you know any recommendations on that? Because let's be realistic. Look, I I, I love to practice with mm-hmm. what I hunt in, right? But you know, nine times out of ten, I'm not really gonna put my my camel clothing on, my camel sweatshirt on my gloves or my backpack to go out in the backyard and shoot. Then, six times, out of, then six times out of 10, you need to do that. Yeah,
3: right. no, so, at, at the end of the day,
1: if you're going to hunt with a glove on, you better be shooting with a glove on. And and we'll
3: the other we'll... recommendation is to do exactly what, what else you're doing, Luis, is, yeah. man, you're in the woods every weekend hunting pigs, right. and you're in those camel clothes, and it's going to be right. the same gear that you're going to be hunting those elk in. So I don't care if it's pigs, squirrels, ducks. Mm-hmm rabbits you know grouse i don't care what it is or in your backyard or shooting right. 3D put that gear on and and you've got yeah, to find those minute.
2: failure points like you guys say right, right. i mean cuz sometimes it, even even if you just get to camp and like you said okay you've been practicing hunting different kind of animals but still mm-hmm. using your bow and your equipment and your gear but when you get to the mountain make sure that you get a few shots in uh, for several reasons, right? Not only because of the gear, the backpack and everything, but also because, you know, it's strongly believed that altitude and different uh, atmospheric conditions may change the path of that arrow that you may need to at your your sights and make sure that you, you know, check for any, any quirks, kinks, sounds, anything on your bow before you get out there. I'll even take it one step further. I think the
3: most important most important arrow that you can have in your quiver is a judo point yes and i really think it's huge when you're out there during the day and you're hunting um to find things whether it be a tuft of grass whether it be a cow patty whether it be a flower on something uh, and to look at it and take shots at it I, i i would tell you to do it without ranging it so that you can actually work on practicing uh, knowing ranges while you're out there in case that happens with you but now you're shooting you're shooting and out there in the in the field in the actual situation you're getting some growth uh, you know what's happening with your bow you know what's happening with your clothes and I, I really I'm I always have an arrow with the judo with me and uh, I, I do a lot of that type of stump shooting during my hunt uh and it, it helps with a lot of things. Uh, for us pin shooters
1: goes. too, Jew, uh, Joe, for us pin shooters, we want to be able to mimic us shooting straight down and straight up too, right. especially if That's you're hunting correct. in steep country, right? right. It's, a, it's different, you know. Sure. This year I made a stop a shot and it was pretty steep, straight down. But I knew uh, in many of my practices, shooting at camp and shooting and elsewhere straight down, I didn't need to add any distance at all. I mean, he was 35, 38 yards. I could use my 30 yard pin cause he's straight down the hill. Right. Right. But had I not known that I could have used my 40 yard pin a little high and I'd have hit that bull high. Right. Right. So at the end of the day, it's really about understanding what your bow does in the conditions you're hunting in. And if you're hunting in steep country, I mean, that's one of the things that can really give you problems is you not knowing the country how steep it is and stuff like that so you know comes into doing more more of your homework online scouting you know and, and understanding the area that you're hunting in yeah, yeah and what we're going to do is
3: we're, we're actually look, guys we're going to at this point and uh, listeners um we're still not done Um, we have more that we want to share with you. And so we're going to be doing a round three on this. We're getting to our time right here where we're going to have to handle a couple of questions from my Rose mailbox. And what's so cool about that is it's usually topics that are going to help you out as well. So, Mm. um, guys, I, I I think that's a super job. I think we're going to continue this with, uh, with part three. Uh, I think our listeners are, I think this is incredible content for them. Just hearing you know, actual situations and, you know, the clarity and Luis bringing up, well, we did this, why did we do this? And mm-hmm. and that's super stuff because that's exactly what you guys out there need to hear, uh, the thinking behind it, not just, you know, because you're not able to do a hunt and where, okay, so you hear A, you do
1: B, C, and D. It doesn't work that way. It's so really, it's, it's, by the, you know, I, my, my boss used to say we're running 90 miles an hour with our hair on fire. And it's yes. it's really a lot like that, you know.
3: Sometimes it can be, man. I mean, you gotta think on your feet. And and there are certain things that just mandate what you do. Wind is one of them, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And and we'll talk about other things as well like that. So we hope you enjoyed that section. Remember, next week we're gonna come back with part three. You're gonna hear again from uh uh Luis will be back with us. Uh He won't be able to play any soccer. (laughs) That's that's three games. (laughs) We're going to go to our Elk Bros mailbox, y'all. And uh, guys, don't forget to to send your questions in. You're hearing a lot of stuff from us. And, you know, I I listened to our our last podcast, and I was listening to it, and I heard Joe Gillia say, you know, move down the ridge, and I was like, I wonder if people understood what I was saying. So it had to be a bunch of you that were confused. If you get confused by that, man, just ask, because trust me, uh, I confuse myself sometimes. So just ask the question and we'll try to clarify it for you.
1: So I, I use it with my kids all the time, Joe, when we're playing softball, I say, hey, listen, you know, that umpire's giving that girl the river in the strike zone. So you got to, you, you got to be, you got to cover the river or I'll tell my pitcher, Hey, you're getting the river in the strike zone. So abuse the river. And they look at you and shake your head. Right. And <laughs> yeah. then she gives up a three run bomb. And I'm yeah. like, why we're Oh, uh, two, an Oh, two count. And you just threw it right down the pipe do you not know that you could throw it in the river and off the river and, you know, you get an out like that. I mean, it's Oh two, why are we throwing it down the pipe? And and I'm like, so one of, and it took another coach to tell me, Gilbert, do you think you, they know what the river is? <laughs> yes, and exactly I'm like, it,
3: Nick, um, I don't know what the river I, is. I, I, I
1: don't know. You know, so I, to, I told, I asked the the young lady who was pitching. I said, do you know what I'm saying when I tell you to to throw it in the river? And she's like, oh my gosh you know I'm like I'm such a dumb
3: yeah but uh, she did you know I mean she's like God I, I don't want to be dumb I should understand exactly what that is. And, and I tell them uh, Look,
1: all the dumb questions are the ones we don't ask if you don't well, know what I'm saying coach get English here you know and
3: um, and the listeners out there y'all got to know we are coaches we're used yeah. to this man so if ever there's anything that you need explained better and you don't get it in fact we're going to get I have something right in here just a little bit so uh, in, in the in the mailbox here so I'm going to the first the first first one is from Steve he didn't he didn't give us the last name of where he was from and probably because he said he says here uh and I'm not laughing at you Steve dude I'm not doing that I just think it's kind of uh I I would want to do it this way myself anyway too I have been hunting my my whole life with one good friend and his dad uh, or my uncle and my grandfather. So this is why he's not giving us a name in place. Right? It's an alias anyway,
1: <laughs> Joe. Steve ain't his real name. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. So uh, my buddy and his dad aren't very serious, and we finally just quit hunting together after years, and my grandfather and uncle passed away, both within the last couple years. I'm now in a position where I really, I would really like to have a hunting partner or partners but they're hard to find so basically this question is is there any way we can help with people in this situation that are looking for other people to hunt with do we have any suggestions for that and uh uh, you know uh i'll let
2: you guys hit it first i mean first of all if, if you don't mind me saying look we're really sorry for your loss and 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 um, yes, I can see how it would be difficult to find hunting partners because at the end of the day when you 're out in the woods, you want to be with somebody you fully trust with somebody that you know is going to have your back um, and and it 's hard to find you know uh, people that is close that that you know that you can ride the river with that 's the phrase you guys use a lot too right so uh, yeah i i just I just wanted to sympathize with that because I know exactly why you're asking this question and, and, and yeah, Uh, Yeah. go ahead, Gilbert. Yeah. Our
1: hearts and prayers go out to you, brother. Uh, My grandfather was one of the largest influences, a hero in my life, my grandmother and my grandfather. Uh, So it was really tough on me. We hunted every weekend together. Every we fished and hunted. I mean, I sat on his lap when I killed my first deer. I mean, all of those things go uh, into, you know, you both molding you as a hunting person. And, and then, you know, looking for hunting partners, you know, I, I'm so fortunate I work in an industry where I have a lot of friends and uh, things like that, that, ha- that like to hunt, but I still, you know, doing what we do is different. You know, it's hard and guys got to have that same mojo to fit in our in our group. So one of the things I would think that would be a real good thing for you to do is go to your local archery shop, you know, shoot some 3d stuff, get involved in some of that and, and just go get out and start meeting some people that love to bow hunt. If you're a bow hunter, if you're a rifle hunter, same thing, start going to some of y'all's local events that y'all may have, um, but get out and, and meet some guys. There are some things on social media, uh, like here in Texas, we have some of the Texas hunting forums, And stuff like that you can post up on and uh meet people that way um but for me my local archery pro shop here um the bow zone or texas archery um those guys have always been able to put me in touch with the right people uh if they knew of somebody needing a hunting partner or a, a group of guys were going to alaska you know they knew that it was you know i i was a a staunch bow hunter, they were going to get in touch with me. So that'd be one of the places I'd start.
2: Here's another thought, you know, and tying this back to the, the beginning of our podcast. Um, you know, if, if you have kids, or if you got nephews or anybody within your family that you want to start coaching and, you know, start bringing that person out in the woods, you know, and start developing them too. You're going to enjoy that as much as, you know, e- your, your relatives enjoyed bringing you up in the woods as well, and it's a way to honor them too. Uh, aside from that, you know, there's also uh, social media, uh, Facebook groups of different public land areas and stuff like that where people actually hunt. And be afraid to just kind of... Try, try it out. Try different hunting partners out there. Just invite somebody to go out with a weekend or so and then see how the, the chemistry works and see if that's somebody that you feel that you can go with for another trip and so on and so forth. And, you know, you, it's amazing how well you meet a person out there um, w- when you're going through the difficulties of the hunt and, and you really start understanding their mindset and, and whether or not it's somebody that you feel compatible hunting with
3: sure yeah and and I, you know i i want to say exactly kind of what Luis hit on is that you think about it you were the young and you had the older guys that taught you and sometimes it's time for that torch to be passed on for you to teach somebody else and get them involved with you uh whether that be a nephew or or a son or you know uh, a member of the family good friend or something like that so you can do the same thing that was done with you the other thing that i would tell you is is also don't don't go out there thinking that all the boxes have to be checked off the first time that you guys are compatible because you know find somebody more about their attitude than their abilities and you know when they have uh i tell you i hunt with a lot of guys you're you're listening to a couple of them here that, uh, you know, Gilbert and I have known each other going on our 11th year now. Uh, Luis, I think this is what our fifth season going into it, you yes, know? Sir. So, uh, and these are guys that didn't know me from Adam at one point, And yet we are as close as close can be. And I've been fortunate Manano that, uh, came into this and, and you know, I've met some Brendan and, uh, uh, just some incredible people that I that I've met that um, look not everybody is the full package you're not the full package but what you can learn from each other as long as you have the similar likes dislikes and passions the rest of it can happen because that comes from discussions and things like that and if it doesn't work out you're yeah, no worse for the hard. wear man right. it's like hey it was a good time then you then you go try something else out yeah, we are yeah, able to get along everything.
2: with Manano so i mean anything is possible <laughs> <laughs> oh no, yeah I'm throw it there yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah manano
3: we love you dude man we we hope you listen right. to this you and uh, uh and we need to get manano on here we just uh we got to get him hooked up and get him on there i want everybody Amen. to hear this guy cuz i tell you he's he's something else um <laughs> uh so the next question is from Richard Ross, and Richard is from Stillicum, Washington. <laughs> Attaboy, Remember Joe. that name? Attaboy. I, I, yeah, I got that one right. Still so um, he wonders if we would be interested in making a series about elk hunting on each state that has elk uh, was his first part. And then he said that, uh, and he would like to hear more about black powder honey. And, for for me what what i'd tell you richard is that is i kind of leave i like to do what's in my wheelhouse what i'm good at what i know and when it comes to um hunting in each state now there's here's what i can tell you elk or elk and Uh, now some of these places might have some unique things happening. Like, uh, I know that there's wolves in Idaho. I know there's grizzlies in Montana and there's things that you have to be aware of, but I still think elk are elk. I think no matter whether it has that, whether it has a ton of hunters, I think everybody has to still deal with that and, and not make excuses, but just hunt elk because elk are going to do what elk do. So as far as other States, the moon phase is going to be the same. The time of the year is going to be the same. Hunt dates might be different, and that's all you have to, to work with as far as that goes. Areas. Now, w- you know, we get a lot of people that ask us. I'll get emails and say, well, what areas should I hunt in New Mexico? Dude, You, that's you not should what- all hunt
1: in Arizona and Nevada. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> need to go to Arizona and Nevada and hunt there. Those are great places to go hunt, Joe. And I, I, you know, I don't
3: answer those questions, man. I don't want to be responsible for your hunt. I don't want to tell you, yeah, go to this place and then you bomb out. And, and you know, and it's like, oh, Joe Julia sucks, man. <laughs> but, good, elk, uh, <laughs> good elk
2: in Florida, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go put your tag in for
3: Kentucky uh, and Pennsylvania.
0: Uh, mm, no, but seriously, you, Richard, I, I,
3: I, I get that and I understand to do that. But, I, you know, I think if you're going to go into <laughs> Idaho, you go listen to Michael Batiste. Um, you go oh, yeah. to listen to Corey Jacobson. And if you're going to hunt mm-hmm. uh, elk in Oregon um, yeah I mean and mm-hmm. yeah I listen to born and raised and those guys that that hunt that country there if you're going to hunt Colorado I know a little bit more about Colorado yeah, I, me too. I do some stuff over in there and and there's a, a lot that you can get from that but I, I try to stick to what I know um if if I ever start hunting those states I'll be able to tell you more about it but I kind of defer to those people that are, are good at and I listen to them too man I listen yeah. to them A lot of those guys, all right? And as far as uh, about the black powder hunting, um, myself, I put black powder hunting in with rifle hunting and uh, most black powder now these days is in line most of it uh i mean uh, to 200 yards you can be aces there's some guys that are still doing uh, you know uh
1: those the, traditional flintlock
3: yeah there's still some guys doing that and 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 that's cool it's it's not my cup of tea but i can tell you this that a lot of that black powder hunting actually happens either in the middle like in colorado right in the middle of the rut in the middle of the archery season so or or Amazing. here or here in New Mexico it's right at the beginning of October when it happens so Amazing. a lot of you guys that are black powder hunting uh is if it's about your weapon that's not my discussion uh I still tell you all of these same things find your failure points find those things that can cause problems with you but as far as getting an opportunity on the animal yeah i'm helping you with that we're helping you with that because we're telling you what to do during the rut we're trying to tell you what to do if it's in another part of october so we are helping those black powder hunters without talking about black powder hunting because even when it comes to archery now gilbert and Luis and these guys, these guys are setup kings. Joe Gillia, I, I shoot bare bow. I don't use pins. Uh, I don't use sights. I mean, uh, my bow is 42, 44 inches axle to axle. So uh, I don't talk a lot about setups. I'm not all about, uh, I'm not a scientist. I go out and I hunt elk and I harvest elk. I go out and uh I can tell you how to get opportunities on an animal. As far as telling you all the ins and outs of that, I mean you can go listen to knock on because that's where you're gonna get that type of stuff and you yeah. know Dudley and those boys. So
1: I've done a tremendous amount of I say tremendous amount. I've done a bunch of black powder hunting Joe. Yeah and, you have. And one of the one of the things I'll tell you is it's in the where, As far as New Mexico and Colorado are, it's in the prime time right. bugle part of the rut. I mean, these yeah. bulls are going crazy all night long, keep you up. The most important thing I would think that you want to be is you need to be real proficient with your rifle, right? right. You need to understand if you're shooting a, a BDC reticle where that thing's hitting when you put it on that second mark or where, you know... If you're going to shoot out to 250, and these rifles 100% have the ability to, right? The hunter, that's a different story. You need to put a lot of time in behind that rifle. So I think what we ought to do,
3: Gilbert, is instead of, like, just getting all that stuff right now, maybe we right. will do a section where we can uh, where we can do a little bit more specifically uh, right. like Richard's request. Maybe we can get you, you guys that this is your wheelhouse, um, yeah. Uh, to to let's talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, Richard,
1: I hope some of that helped you out a little bit, brother. All of these questions were fantastic, Joe. Tons of content today in part two. I'm looking forward to part three. You know, if you guys out there like what we're doing, please rate, subscribe, and review. Uh, It's really important for you to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and review us and rate us as well. I mean, those five-star ratings are big for us. So you can check out more elk hunting content too at elkbros.com. And as always, you know, if you want your questions aired uh, on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com.
3: All righty, man.
1: <laughs> you bet you Guys, it's been amazing today. It has. Uh, tons of content. Can't wait for next week for Joe in New Mexico and the leader of the Kitty cult in, uh, in in Katy, Texas, Luis Gonzalez. I'm Gilbert and here from spring, Texas husbands, hug your wives and kiss them. Wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on blue collar elk hunting.
3: Peace, peace.
1: Peace.